so my application essay that I ended up submitting, um, I wrote about um, having two moms, um, being a sperm donor baby, and um, having 23 half siblings from that. Hey, college kids, welcome back to my podcast, Who Cares About College? In this episode, I'll be interviewing Katie. So Katie, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Katie Kemether. I'm a sophomore at Swarthmore College located in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm from right outside of Princeton, New Jersey, and I am a biology and political science double major, and I am intended for pre-med. Very interesting double major. So let's get to that later and start at the very beginning. So in your family, how was education viewed? Were you expected to have really good grades and get into a good college? Or were your parents more like chill and relaxed on that? So um, my parents always expected me to go to a um, very high academic institution. And ever since I was young, they supported my pursuits of becoming a doctor one day. Um, And both my parents went to college and attended law school. So they're very big on um, higher education. And so was it necessary for you to go to a like highly ranked school or did they just want you to go to a, I guess, a good school? Was it necessary to get into like a top 20, top 30 class? Um, I think they really wanted me to push myself and try to attend one of um, the top 20 schools in the country. Um, But I think that they would have been happy wherever I ended up. And also one other thing about your family, did you have any older siblings to look up to in the college process, like how to navigate it, how to begin? I'm actually an only child, so I did not. Um, And did your school provide you like resources and knowledge on how to approach the college process? Yes, my high school was um, incredibly helpful and really made everything as smooth as possible. Okay, so going into high school, and actually one thing, so you said you wanted to be a doctor. Did that influence how you approached high school and the college process, or did you find that out like later in high school that you wanted to be a doctor? Was it like an early set thing? Yes, so I always thought that I wanted to be an orthodontist since the fourth grade, um, or some, or some sort of doctor or in the medical field. Um, so I knew that very, very early on in my life and it definitely helped me decide what APs to take in high school and what kind of program I was looking for in college. So now going into high school, I guess we can talk about your classes first, like APs and honors. By the end of high school, did, how many APs or perhaps your school did IBs? How many APs or IBs did you have by the end of senior year? By the end of senior year, I had six AP classes and there were no IBs at my school. See, and with those AP classes, you said they were kind of like more specific. So did you know that you wanted to make like a application crafted around medicine or just STEM in general? Yeah, so my they weren't um my school didn't offer as incredibly specific APs as some other private schools may have because I went to public school, but I knew I wanted to take um AP biology and AP government and politics and now it's directly applying to what I am currently double majoring in. And that's interesting. So you go to a lib- liberal arts college did you ever have in mind to go to a university or did you always have your mindset on a liberal liberal arts college? So I definitely looked at um, universities and colleges or liberal arts colleges or universities with a liberal arts approach because I've always been interested in a wide variety of subjects. And I knew that I couldn't go to a school where I just took um, all science classes. I really wanted to dive into the social sciences and the humanities as well. So I sort of stumbled upon a lot of liberal arts colleges that I really liked their message. Okay. So back to those classes on your APs, what was the average score that you received? Um, the average would be four. I got two threes, two fours, and two fives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, Swarthmore is taking three of those scores out of the six of the tests that I took. 
And when you took those APs, people take them for a variety of reasons. Number one, probably the most important is it looks impressive on a college application. But did you ever want like credits to transfer over so you can graduate a little bit earlier? Was that like any intention? Was that the kind of the intention with taking APs or was it purely just to make an impressive application? Um, I would say about 90% impressive application and 10% um, really just having to not take as many introductory level courses when I got to college Mm -hmm. and sort of expediting that process, like you said. Okay. And kind of related to that, and you don't have to go in detail, but was fi- were finances ever like a problem with your family or were you, did you have more free reign in the colleges that you could attend? Um, since I'm an only child and my parents had um, saved up for a while, they just told me to look everywhere and we'll figure it out. And they didn't want um, looking for financial aid to be a limiting factor in where I wanted to go. That's great. That's great. And so, okay, we've done APs. Let's move on to GPA. So what was your GPA unweighted and weighted at the end of senior year? And can you provide the scale? Because every school does it differently. Yes. Um, I think so. Um, my school doesn't use scale, but I, I calculated it. So numbers wise, I had a 91.5 unweighted and a 94.5 weighted, which sort of, I believe, goes to about a 4.1 weighted. Mm-hmm. and I think a 3.95 unweighted. And those are like out of 100, right? When they say 91, they say like 90%? Yeah, out of 100, yeah. Interesting, okay. So let's move on to standardized test scores now. So did you take the SAT or ACT? I took both. Um, and Swarthmore makes you um, record every test that you've taken, regardless of whether or not you like the score, and they super score your scores for you. That's interesting. So if you get like, let's say your first attempt on attempt on the SAT, for example, is not high enough for the school, obviously, it doesn't fall within their like range, their percentile, and they see that score, does that count against you, even if you earned a higher super score in the end? No, um, they just they just super score for you. And I think that um, it ultimately, in their eyes, works in your favor, because they're seeing that you put in the effort to progress your understanding and your education and just how it showed how much you cared and how much you wanted to try. And I, th- I thought that was nice. And their super scoring, um, I think, was really good for me because I would do really well in the math section on one test and not as well in the English. And then I would do better on the English in the next one mm-hmm. and not as well in the math. So my super score was um, significantly better than my individual tests. And what preparations did you take for standardized testing? And like, when did you start? How did you start? So um, I did, I first um, took the SAT just to see where I fell. And then I did an SAT test prep with Princeton Review um, in the junior year of my spring. And it was about a two or three month intensive. And then you take, um, you take the test again on your own. And you just study with them for about two or three hours every weekend. And then you do studying on your own during the week. And it boosted my score by about 90 points on the SAT. It's incredible. And curious, like little question here. Why did you take both the SAT and the ACT? So I had heard from a lot of STEM inclined people that the ACT was somehow better for them. And um, so I decided to give it a try. And the ACT ended up being better for me than the SAT. Are you really? Because I feel like the ACT, from what I've heard, it's like harder. It's a harder test in general. Why was it easier for you? I think that um, I I really, I don't, um, I don't particularly know. I happen to think that the English section on the ACT is easier because I think that although there are more questions and you have to go faster, they're not as, um, you you don't have to do as much analysis as you do, especially in the reading section on the SAT. And I just, I liked how the ACT was set up Mm -hmm. and it just meshed well with me. Everyone, I mean, to each their own for standardized testing. 
And does Swarthmore require, I know they require all of them, but do they require SAT and ACT if you took both? So um, I think you, so you could either just like report none or report all of them. And I, and I, I think now with the current state of the world, I don't think they require energy, any standardized testing, but don't quote me on that. Um, they had you on the common app, not necessarily officially sending them all the scores. You just had to report the scores you had. And I think they, they suggest that. Okay. And in the end, how many times did you take both tests and then what did you get? Um, so the SAT I took twice and the ACT I took twice. Both of them twice. And what did you get on the SAT as your super score? My super score. Um, so the first time I got 1310 and then the second time I got 1390. And then for the ACT, um, my super score out of the two times was a 33.5. Okay, that's pretty good. That that put you in like a good percentile for the schools you were aiming for, right? Yeah, yes. Okay. And you didn't, I, I know this is a weird question, but a lot of people, like I had one interviewee, he got like a 35 on the ACT and then he took it again. He got a 36 and he kind of regrets it now. He thought it was really stupid, but did you ever have that like, oh, you know, I should get a 35, I should get a 36? Or did you set like a benchmark for yourself and say, I'm fine after this, like, I'm not going to bother to take it again? Um, I, I didn't have a benchmark. I mean, I had a benchmark range that I knew I wanted to at least fall into. Um, and after I had taken the exam the second time, I, so on the ACT, the first time I got a 30 and the second time I got a 31, but looking at the individual sections, my super score is a 33.5, which is, which is significantly, um, higher than the two individual scores. Mm -hmm. So looking individually at my tests, I wasn't as satisfied as I could have been, but with my super score, I, I decided it's okay. I'm done for now. <laughs> Moving on to, um, the common app. Okay. Okay. So we've gotten all like the stats standardized tests out of the way. Oh, actually one more thing. Subject tests. This is something I haven't like gone really into, but like I'm getting more interested in it now. So can you tell me what subject tests are exactly and why colleges like to see them if you know? Yes. So um, I don't particularly know why colleges are interested in seeing them. Maybe, I mean, I took, I only took the language one, mm -hmm. um, I took French, and I think possibly a way to kind of standardize how or, or to to gauge how a student is um with their language because at some schools I mean an A is an A and at other schools a C is an A um for high school so I think the subject tests are the college's best way besides the AP exams um to really gauge how how literate a student is in that particular specific field mm, so like to provide like a blank slate for everyone to start off with yeah I think so but I think AP tests um or so are sort of overtaking the subject tests I see okay and let's move on to the more exciting stuff which is extracurriculars so can you take me through the extracurriculars that you did in high school yes so um I was president of this club um called girl up which is the high school branch of a United Nations foundation that focuses on um, women's equality and education for women in countries that don't particularly give them equal rights. Um, and I was social social chair for another club. And I was on um, two, two committees in my high school that just worked with diversity and inclusion in the community. And I played basketball, lacrosse, and tennis um, for my high school varsity teams. And okay, quick question. I know we're getting ahead, but were you taken into Swarthmore as an athlete or as a student? Um, student athlete, I would say. Student athlete. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so but let's go to the first club you were talking about, which is President of Girl Up. So can you start me there? Like, 
when did you, I guess, join Girl Up? And then how did you eventually climb yourself up to president? Yes. Um, so I joined um, my sophomore year because my school, so I founded it, founder and president, um, my sophomore year with um, a group of group of young ladies that I was friends with um, at my high school because we sat down one day and we realized that there was no club at my school that really did stuff for women outside of our community. And we wanted to change that. And we wanted to find um, a larger organization that we could work with to really make a diff- make an impact and make a difference. Um, and we stumbled upon Grow Up, which is with the United Nations. And we founded a chapter through our high school and and we we really liked it and um it really flourished and we held elections all three years and i was very fortunate to be elected all three years and it was a great experience can you take us a little bit through the process of creating a club and then for you specifically since it is part of like a larger organization. Can you take us through the process of creating a club? What are the steps? And then how do you like connect with the bigger organizations to expand to your school? So my school, um, you have to file a formal request to create a club through the treasury department and through the vice principal's office. And you have to get it improved and you have to set up um, a, a formal bank account through the school. And that was that was where we would um, for our all of our fundraisers, we would input the money and then we would be able to send checks or send any of the donations that we received to um, Girl Up United Nations. And it was very daunting process at first because it's it's a it's a lot to create a club and you really don't understand how much time and effort it takes to make a club um, until you're actually doing it. And it really, it taught me a lot about organization because I had to mobilize um, a group of people and also get people interested. And it was a, it was a really rewarding experience and it, it really taught me a lot. I mean, that's like incredible. And can you tell us a little bit about what you did in Girl Up as like a club itself? Yes. So um, we would engage in community fundraisers and we would raise money and hold events and um, awareness raising events about basically the lack of equality going on in many other parts of the world, including the United States as well, um, for women and girls. And so our favorite thing that we would do, um, we have a we have a nice little town festival and we loved doing a bake sale because we all got to bake individually and then do our stand. And nothing really teaches you how to how to raise money and how to be in a club, like standing in the cold trying to sell brownies um, to people. So so that was fun. I, I really enjoyed some of the um fundraisers that we did and just trying to get creative and come up with interesting things. And can you give a little tip for people who want to go out and create their own club or perhaps join a club and make their way up to president? Like what advice would you give? Because you did say it was a daunting process and it's a huge time commitment. So what would you say to people who actually want to go out and make clubs themselves? Um, I would say that having Girl Up already be established, um, an established organization made it a lot um, more bearable because we could go on the website and look at what other chapters and other high schools in our state and in our country were doing. And we could sort of piggyback off of Ben or brainstorm from the list of ideas and the list of community service efforts. So I would say find something that you're interested in and find similar clubs that can help you get a feel kind of a blueprint for what you want. Good there. And one more thing, was it kind of embarrassing or like, I guess you could say embarrassing creating a club, just like going out and telling your friends, oh, hey, you know, me and my mate here, we want to start a club. Could you like join or support or tell your friends about it? Did you kind of find it embarrassing? 
to do that? Um, I would say no. I think I had a really great group of supporting friends who said, this is going to be great. And I think it's going to be really fun. And I think I'm going to learn a lot. And if, if I don't learn a lot, at least it looks good on college applications. So it really wasn't hard to find a bunch of young women like myself who really wanted to learn and do something and also look good on college applications. So in the end, was being like the founder and president all three years of Girl Up like the main extracurricular for your college application? Was it like the one that stood out the most? I would say, I would say probably that and um, how involved I was with sports in the community and like how much time I dedicated to athletics. Okay, actually, let's talk about your athletics then, because it is a huge part for you. So basketball, lacrosse and tennis, that's that's quite a like a packed schedule. Were they like each one season? You just did them throughout the entire year? Yes. Tennis, uh, fall, basketball, winter, lacrosse, spring. And I played for um, club teams for um, lacrosse and basketball outside of outside of school as well. So it pretty much dominated my weekends. Well, I'm sure it did. And did you like get to state competitions? And I don't know exactly how sports work, but did you get to like a national level and compete there? Yes. Well, no. Um, we would attend states every year for um, lacrosse and basketball and tennis. Um, but the the time where I was playing um, schools, I mean, not schools, um, club teams across the country was in when I was playing club outside of school. Um, when we would play, when we'd go to nationals in DC and we would play all the teams around and just try to get exposure from college coaches to start the recruiting process. Oh, can you tell us a little bit about the recruiting process? How, I mean, how does it work? Do you need to be a certain level of an athlete, like have maybe have won a state competition or something with your team? Is there some sort of requirement and what do these coaches look for? So I would say that your high school team doesn't particularly matter um, as much as your club team because your high school team, especially if you go to a public school, is just the people who live in your area. Whereas your club team are all the people across the state that tried out and made this team. And they're looking for a select probably 10 or 12 group of girls that are tight knit and travel across the country for about four months in the summer Mm -hmm. and towards the end of school and just want to play college basketball. And um, the recruiting process is really, really intense and I mean, I, I started looking at colleges and reaching out to coaches the summer before ninth grade. Wow. So I was, I was, I was looking at colleges and preparing my list of extracurriculars and, and my list of classes and trying to get good grades um, since, since freshman year of high school, because it is such an intensive um, process recruiting. It's, it's insane. It really is. Can you take us through a little bit about your like own process? So you said when you started, which was, I mean, that's really early, like the summer before freshman year coming into high school. And then how did it go? Would you like go to games and then coaches would like stand there and you would meet with them after the games? Like how would it work? Yes. So, um, so you would go to these tournaments that would be weekends. Um, and basically there would just be chairs on either basket and college coaches would just sit for, however long they wanted to sit and they'd float around. Uh, we'd be in convention centers with about 60 courts. So it was they you were seeing, I mean, thousands of girls playing and they could look up your roster on any um, recruiting profile. Um, you could, you could go, you could just look them up and my recruiting profile had my height, my high school, my, high school coach, my club coach's name, my GPA, sort of like a rough what I'm looking for. And if they like you, you, they email you. If you're interested in a school, which is the best thing um, to do would be to email the coach and start communications with them. And um, you can go to 
a, a college's elite camp um, over the summer where you stay over at the college for a night or two and you're basically just playing basketball for 48 hours um, and on random teams that they make 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 up for you with a bunch of other girls interested in playing and the coaches and the team at that college or university are coaching you for 24 hours and just observing you play. Are you serious? Just like playing and playing? Yes. Um, and you get to eat at the dining hall. You get to stay in the dorms. They, they put you in the worst dorms. (laughs) Um, and that was, that was my life for three years. And it was honestly the most exhausting process you can possibly be in. Mm-hmm. But it really took me on a journey through looking at colleges because I I knew where I was going to go by this uh, September of my senior year, whereas many people haven't even decided where they're applying yet by then. Um, so it's it's really interesting to look back on what 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 my favorite college was my freshman year and my favorite college was my sophomore year and then junior year. And it would change based on the month. And it, it made me start the process a lot earlier, but I really um, am thankful at how intense it was in making me look at schools and making me figure out what I really wanted. Okay. And by, I'm just curious by the time senior year came around and you had chosen your college, how many colleges had you, I guess, like how many coaches have you had you talked to by then? How many colleges did you go to and stay with and play for them? Okay, so I would say I went to about um, 15 of the elite camps. Mm-hmm. and Oh, you mean like top 20 schools? No, no, about um, like schools that I stayed over mm-hmm. and did overnights um, and attended the camps where you could stay on college and just play basketball. Um, for 48 hours, I, I went to about 15 of those and I had exchanged emails with 30 coaches, 30, 35. Wow. Um, just because you're trying to, you're trying to get your name out there and you're trying to get a feel, mm-hmm. um, for what you want and what they want out of you. And some, some, some of those schools were nothing more than just four emails back and forth. And just trying to find the right fit. And do schools, I'm curious, with recruited athletes, of course, in the end, it's the students' choice where they go. But do schools, like, ever compete with each other to get an athlete? Like, oh, we'll offer you more financial aid than this school if you come to our school and play. Do they ever do that, compete for students? Um, I would say especially, yes, if they're in the same conference. Like, if you have one Ivy League school after you, you have basically all of the Ivy League schools after you for a particular sport because within conferences you have a very homogenous level of play so and they're also very similar schools so if you can get into one of those you can kind of get into all of those and um I would because division one and division two schools can offer you um scholarship money for sports but Division Three, which Swarthmore is, um, they don't give you any money for sports. Mm, okay. And I want to talk more about being a recruited athlete and how that affects the college application process a little bit later. But let's get through the rest of your extracurriculars first. So you did say you were on a couple committee committees during high school. So can you elaborate more on that? Yes. Um, so there was the Diversity and Inclusion Committee mm-hmm. um, that was I would say district wide because we had teachers, parents, and students from, um, I mean, teachers of elementary and middle and high schooler, high school students. And we had a few high schoolers and the superintendent was there. And we talked about um, issues in the community regarding diversity and inclusion and things that we could do to make everyone feel like they were valued in the community Um, because I live in a predominantly white town Mm -hmm. and we had to address a lot of things about how we are not as welcoming to as many 
like people of color in our community and how we needed to implement strategies to get like greater a greater percentage of people of color in our community and in our school system just to foster greater awareness and diversity and inclusion in the community and um, it also stemmed past race it was about being inclusive to the lgbtqia plus community as well and also to people with disabilities so it was a really eye-opening and rewarding group to be a part of and I really really valued that experience and in the committee would you guys exchange ideas or would you more look over like I guess legislation that was proposed or was like gonna be passed like what exactly did you do in the committee because you did say there were teachers there was a superintendent and then some parents and some high schoolers yes I would say that um, especially the students and the parents, because we're not, obviously we're not writing legislation. We're more so like looking over and brainstorming and also being kind of the Petri dish for ideas and gauging how the community will react to things that the district and administration was implementing. Mm-hmm. And I have a question about, because correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think every single student knows about like being on a committee for their district. So how did you come upon that position? How did you come upon the extracurricular? So I was actually um, reached out to by my advisor, um, who I had uh, a really close relationship with. Um, Word of advice, get close with your advisor. Um, And she suggested that Um, They reach out to me and I said that it was something that I would be interested in doing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they, they did go through um, advisors at school. Interesting there. And what about, did you say there was another committee that you were part of? Yes. So this one was the food service committee, which Mm -hmm. um, worked with dietary restrictions, dietary issues, and um, students talking to the food service company directly once a month with basically the menus, how it's going for kids, how expensive the meals are, and how we can um, come up with meal plans for lower income students in the district, Mm. and also students who had dietary restrictions. I see. And was that kind of the same as your diversity inclusion committee? Like there would be parents, high schoolers, and some teachers there like yeah, so that, one was, that one was uh, happened to be all students, mm. which was which was nice because I mean we're eating the food, so we <laughs> we're giving our direct opinions. Okay, there. And then, did you mention something with social studies related to social studies? So I was actually the social chair for another club, so I managed the social media account, um, networking, but I mean flyers around the school and stuff like that, and getting the word out about um, this other club that I was in, which is called the Global Connections Club. Um, And it is in direct partnership with a sister organization in Africa. Um, And we helped raise money and helped to create a clean water pump in this village. Um, I unfortunately did not get to visit this village over the summer during um, my soft during my sophomore year because um due to traveling around trying to get recruited i i couldn't go but uh one of my best friends went and she absolutely adored the experience and said it was incredible to see something that you helped make like really Mm -hmm. helping people and is this like particular to your high school or is it like girl up and it's multiple high schools across america So this one is um, particular to my high school because um, one of the science professors is actually from the village and, and he helped like to create the club and he had connections. So we actually got to have a um, banquet with the Kenyan ambassador and I got to meet him and it was, it was really, um, it was really great. And we could have never, um, achieve such things without him 
um, the teacher leading the club. That's amazing. And did you hold, what position did you hold in the club or were you just a member of it? So social, social media advisor, social chair. Oh, okay. 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 That makes sense. I mean, that's incredible. You met the ambassador. It was, it was really um, exciting when they had like a, a gala in our, in our town. Um, all the members of the club were working the event and we had a bunch of um, small organizations also come um, Oh, I forget the name, but we had um, works on display. So they take, so they take the creations like bags, bracelets, things made by women from this village, and we would auction them off and sell them to help raise money for it. And it was it was really really beautiful. So many works of art and so many handcrafted things, and it was just it was such a great experience. I mean, that is incredible. And I mean, I'm noticing a trend here. Like you seem relatively, I guess invested in community service like with the or yeah community service in general so was that kind of something you happened upon or did you kind of I guess we could call it strategically plan it and say like oh I'm going to try to invest a lot into community service and volunteering um I would say that community service has always spoken to me because it is something that you can feel a lot of reward for And it really, I mean, when you're from a small town in New Jersey, there's nothing better than feeling like you can actually make an impact in the world and you're helping people outside of New Jersey, outside of America. And I thought these two clubs were honestly something that I would be interested in. And I'm really happy I did because it ended up being a learning experience and it was really great. I mean, I mean, it sounds incredible, like the things you've done. And I want to get a quick overview before we get into actual like common app and application. So what did your day look like as a high schooler, let's say in junior year, because people say that is quote unquote, the hardest year in high school. So what did your typical day look like? Um, so, okay. So I would, uh, Way over school at seven, arrive at 7.45, go to school until 2.45. Um, I would have sports practice through the school from three to five. Um, three to five, my God. <laughs> and then I would go home. And if it was um, in the fall or in the spring, I would, on Tuesdays or Thursdays, I would have club practice. Um, so that would be from seven to nine. So from five to seven would be, I get home, I do homework, I eat dinner, I go to practice um, from seven to nine, and I would come home and study um, and do homework, I want to say until 11. And of course, some nights I would I would stay up significantly past then, but um, I would say that I was probably in bed by 12. Okay, that is three to five. My God, that is athletics are such a huge commitment. Are you, if you're part of a club, do you need to be part of your high school as well? Is that no. like a, no, you don't no. need to? No. Okay. Um, clubs are, clubs are mainly to get recruited. So there's plenty of high school athletes who don't in, engage in um, club sports because they're not actively looking to play in college. Okay, so we've gone through basically all of high school and now we're on the actual application process. So can you tell me how the application process differs for just a regular high school student versus a student athlete who's trying to get recruited? Um, Okay, so in my personal experience, um, I had narrowed it down to the schools that I wanted to the summer before my senior year um, of high school. And the schools that I was um, getting recruited by, Swarthmore being one of them. So my process with that is um, I sent my GPA and my unofficial transcript and a list of extracurriculars and my standardized tests um, to the athletic department. And they sent them to the admissions office and they did this thing called a pre-read 
where they um, told the coaches if I was likely to get in or unlikely to get in because they want to make sure that the coaches aren't having a lot of kids apply that really can't get in because, I mean, it's difficult to get into Swarthmore and plenty of prospective athletes don't get in. Um, so they did the, they did the pre-read the summer for my senior year and um, they gave my coach um, the okay. And then um, starting in September, I submitted um, the common application for early deadline one. That's interesting. So if you don't get a favorable favorable answer on the pre-read, does that mean you're not like not allowed to apply on Common App, like ED? No, it just means that um no, it doesn't, you're you're still allowed to apply, you're still allowed to do whatever you like. Um the coach of the college will probably tell you that they're not gonna keep talking to you as much just because you don't have as high of a chance of getting in, but they still tell you to um, apply to any school you want, still apply ED if that's something you'd want, and then just let them know if you get in and then, then they'll um, continue talking to you. Okay. So you've sent you, what other schools did you send off a pre-read to other than Swarthmore? Um, I sent a pre-read to Swarthmore College and Haverford College. And do you ever apply to a school like not as an athlete? You're just applying because I don't know, you like the school, even if you're not like particularly scouted. Um, Yeah. So because um, I did early decision one at Swarthmore, Mm -hmm. um, I got my results back December um, 15th. So if I didn't get in, I was going to apply regular to other schools before January 1st, but I didn't apply anywhere else because I was just waiting to see if I got into Swarthmore because I um, I sort of committed in the sense where I said I was going to apply early decision to Swarthmore and Swarthmore only, and that if I got in, I would play for the basketball and lacrosse teams. So I did that in September, but I didn't officially announce it until I got in in December, just because you never know if you're going to get in or not. And with being a recruited athlete, I'm saying particular to your case because everybody's different. But did you look for colleges based on like, you know, who is reaching out to me? Like, who do I have a closer relationship to? Or did you look at colleges with other criteria in mind, you know, campus size? What other things people look for when they look for a college or university? Yeah. So I always knew that I wanted to play, um, two sports, uh, or at least a sport in college. Um, but at the end of the day, the biggest thing to me and the biggest thing to my parents was that I go to a school that I really like, regardless of if I play sports. Um, so I really, went through my recruiting process, looking for schools for me personally on the East coast, high academic, not too terribly far away from home um, with clubs and extracurriculars and majors and classroom life that I resonated with and basically a student body that I felt represented the same ideals that I shared with them or had. Um, so I chose Swarthmore because, um, it's a fantastic school. It's not too close from my house. I mean, not too far from my house. Um, incredibly stunning campus and just great programs, small class sizes, professors who really care about you and who just want to, and just just full of students on campus who are there to expand their education and their knowledge. And I have another question about recruited athletes. So as a regular applicant, you are competing against the regular applicant pool, but as a recruited athlete, are you competing against a lot, the same number of people or is like the pool different or are the numbers different? So I would say it's Swarthmore. Um, the athletes really do deserve to be there. 
Um, and for other schools, maybe division one or division two, where like they're playing on such a huge scale and they're playing so competitively that um, they maybe are just looking for a school where they can play sports. Um, I think the athletes at Swarthmore truly do have to get in on their own. They're not getting assistance from um, the athletic department or anyone in the admissions office, just like sliding their admission, sliding their application under the table. I really think that um, they deserve to be there because we're, we're in the same pool as every other student. Um, like nothing on my application said that I was going to play a sport there. Ah, uh, okay. So you just applied as like any other applicant. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. And now a little bit into your actual application. So if you don't mind sharing, what did, did you apply common application to Swarthmore? Yes, common app. And what did you write for your personal statement? Like what was the general topic? And again, like the process going through it, how did you start? How many drafts did you get through? And how did you come upon an idea? Um, okay, so the I wrote three drafts. Um, I mean, three different essays and the one I submitted, it went through three drafts. Um, uh, my high school in the spring of junior year, they have the English teachers have you write um, a couple of college essays and they and they go through it to make sure it's grammatically correct. Make sure you're saying things that um, are appropriate for uh, an application and and I had my parents go over it and make sure it was okay. And um, my high school English teachers, even after junior year. But so my application essay that I ended up submitting, um, I wrote about um, having two moms, um, being a sperm donor baby, and um, having 23 half siblings from that. And my experience with hosting exchange students from other countries mm -hmm. and basically the general prem premise of my um, essay was that um, how I learned that family wasn't necessarily blood. It was about the people who you love and who you choose to include in your life and how they make you happy and how those people are your real family. Um, so that's what I wrote about. And I think the prompt was share something about your life that would strengthen your application. I think it was, it was whatever question that was that they prompted mm -hmm. you to write about. And did, did you come upon a topic relatively easily or was it like constantly contemplating like, Oh, this, 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 should I be kind of funny in my essay or serious? Like how did you kind of struggle with that or was it, did it come easy to you? Um, I knew what I was going to write about right off the bat um, because it's a pretty unique experience mm -hmm. and you want to write about something that makes you unique and indiv individualistic, um, taking that kind of approach to it. Um, taking lots of drafts to make, to make it heartfelt at some points, but not too... Um, too heavy, you know, where they didn't have like a reading hangover after reading it. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was hard um, at first trying to cut the words down, make it, make it less wordy, just really put myself on paper in, in less than, less than the words that they told us. I mean, the mm -hmm. word count, um, figuring out how there's like no introduction paragraph. It's just sort of, you get an introduction sentence and then you sort of got to throw yourself and your whole life experience that you want to talk about on a piece of paper. It was um, hard. And that's why I think a lot of rough drafts and taking it, taking it on in sort of, sort of like with a nice time frame around it. I mean, writing something one week and then rereading it the next week, you could hate it. And I did that. And that's why I wrote three different essays. And that's why I, 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 the one that I submitted went through like three or four rough drafts and cutting sentences, having friends read them, having them say, this just sounds weird. Like Kate got to cut it. Um, or having other people around you 
help brainstorm things that you can maybe put in was really the best way to go about it for me. And you also mentioned that in the spring of your junior year, your school required that you, you know, at least present something like some sort of essay to go through the teachers and the counselors. So in general, was your school like really tough on college applications? Did they send a lot of people to really good, amazing schools there? Because it seems like they really did help you. Yeah, I went to a, I mean, really phenomenal public high school that was just on top of students, wanted um, students to have all the foundations and also all the resources to have a fantastic college application. And for the people who chose not to go to college, a great foundation for like life ahead of them. They Their classes were rigorous and they really cared about making sure the students had all the opportunities to succeed. And they really took um, applying to college really seriously and so many, so many amazing resources. Like I, I can't even imagine how um, I would have applied without so many of the things that my schools had, had offered. Yeah, that's incredible. So how did you feel when you got accepted into Swarthmore? I was honestly overjoyed. Um, the day that I um, found out, I found out at 7 p.m. Um, and I had a basketball game oh, when I was, and the news was supposed to drop. And it was our opening game. And I played so awfully, so terribly because I was just so focused on, oh my God, my application. I just kept looking at the clock on the wall instead of, instead of focusing. Um, and we, it was looking like we were going to finish the game and I was going to be able to open it on time. And then we went to overtime oh. and I had to go into the, the locker room after and I didn't get to see the news until like 15 minutes after it was released on the portal, but I, I opened it in the like in the gym and I was like, I got in and, and all my teammates just, and all my family and all my friends that had come to the game just were just screaming for me. And it was um, such a, such a positive, happy memory because basically everything that I had worked for and went through with high school and getting um, recruited since ninth grade had come and I had gotten into my dream school and it was, it was just, so incredible. That wraps up Katie part one. Make sure to subscribe so you know when part two comes out. In the meantime, feel free to check out all my other episodes with a bunch of other amazing college students. If you're interested in more college-related content, make sure to check out my blog, acollegekid.com. But other than that, I hope to see you in Katie part two. Bye.